Genesis 22. We're in our series on on worship, and again, I I felt like in the fall that we weren't. It wasn't time, but now it is time to talk about uh, the discussion on worship. And if you've noticed up to this point, have I talked much about music? I don't think I've talked anything about music. You see, because the the music part of it and singing when we gather together, that is that is something that flows out of a life, a heart of worship, which we were created for. And if we're living a life apart from a life of worship, we are missing out on one of the, the main purposes of why God created us, for His pleasure, for His joy. And so, uh, unfortunately, in, in Christian culture, when we hear the word worship, we, we think of, you know, Playing guitar, and that is true because you have, you know, that that is definitely uh, some of the symptoms of worship, might I say, the expressions of worship: raising your hands, singing to the Lord, dancing, all these things that we, you know, we have our little cultural yes, do's and don'ts. But we look at King David, and we wouldn't like King David in our in our church service, would we? Again, we're going to talk about a little bit more of this this morning. But that all, it should flow from a heart. And God, which is really cool, He's created us differently to where we can express our love for Him differently. Don't you like that? That we're all not drones. Um, And so, as we continue to talk about these issues of worship, uh, just for probably the next, this week and next week, uh, I, I want us to really focus on the heart. Why we do what we do. And so we we spoke about spirit and truth, John chapter 4. Jesus was looking for those, the Father is looking for those who worship, who worship in spirit and truth. And we saw that woman at the well. The woman at the well, she was living a life that said she was a worshiper because of where she went and what she did and who she associated with. But her life, her five husbands and the one she was with now, Jesus said, hey, it's not about the outside, what you appear to the people, it's what's going on in your heart. Are you a worshiper? She was not worshiping in spirit and truth. Her relationships reflected it. Her attitude reflected it. All these types of things. Those are hard teachings, especially for us in the American church, where anything goes. And so Jesus was very kind and gentle to her and spoke to her heart. And he drew out the thirst. The thirst in her life was that she was trying to meet all of her her, her deep need for relationship in a man. Now, did God create men and women to, to be able to satisfy that need together? Yes, they did, as in husband and wife. Absolutely. That's not what we're talking about. But any of you who are married will know that that person does not satisfy you 100%. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> that our primary purpose as human beings is to have that thriving relationship with God that was founded in the Garden of Eden. We're to be connected with God, and then God reveals the needs in our hearts, and He's the one who meets them. That's what God has desired, that we go to Him to get the things met in our lives. We don't go meet those things. Otherwise, like Adam, he could have ended up marrying an animal. You know what I'm saying? 
But he realized, hey, there's no one here for me. And God awakened that in his heart, and God met that need. This woman struggled with that, as we all do. Jesus was saying, you're thirsting for something that's eternal. Come to me, and I will meet that need. Worshiping in spirit and truth, going after the Father, turning towards him, a lifestyle of this. Then we came to the situation of Saul in in First Corinthians. I'm sorry, First Corinthians and and First uh, Samuel chapter 15, where God went to Saul and Saul uh, through the prophet Samuel and said, "Hey, I want you to go uh, totally annihilate the Amalekites, eviscerate them, every single one of them, their cattle, everything, their kids. I want you to just take care of all of them. It's time for judgment for these people." And Saul went out and he destroyed whoever, he destroyed most of the people, but he held back the things that he wanted to not destroy, which was the king and some choice cattle and those types of things. And when he came back, he said, hey, Samuel, I've, I've done all the things you asked me to do. And he goes, well, what's, why do I hear the sheep going, what's going on? And what's this king standing here? And he goes, well, hey, you know, just wanted to give those to sacrifice to the Lord. You see, and he said to sacrifice to the Lord, your God. Saul didn't have that personal relationship with God. He didn't have that thriving relationship with God because if he knew God's heart, he would know that obedience is better than sacrifice. I love the sacrifice, God says, but what I want is your heart. And Saul he valued the opinion of his people around him who wanted to keep these choice things more than he feared the Lord. Part of effective worship, the worship that God desires out of us, is a life of obedience. And sometimes it involves very difficult tasks, but God desires complete obedience. What keeps us from obeying? Things that we want things that other might offend other people, correct? These types of things were going on in Saul's heart, and he gave in to them. And so I wanted to draw a contrast between this guy Saul, who had all the appearances of being uh, of powerful and, and spiritual and all these things, but he was corrupt inside, and that would go with him for the rest of his life. God would take his anointing away from him and give it to David. Who, did David mess up? Did David blow up big time? And we're not saying that that's not, you know, uh, that that stuff doesn't happen with people who follow God. But his heart was after the Lord. He always cried out when he blew it. And Nathan the prophet came to him and said, hey, what's up with you and Bathsheba? You know? Psalm 51. I've sinned against you and you alone, God. God, help me. Were there consequences of that sin? Yes, he was a leader. But God came and he lifted him up and he blessed him. And the king never departed from his seat. And that would be Jesus Christ, eventually. But this heart, this life of worship, is, is what we're trying to seek after. And let me tell you in the end, it affects this. And this is not the chief end. Sunday morning. It's all the days of the week when we go out there and we shine Jesus, living a life of worship, right? But 
and we'll get into it a little bit later, but when we gather, there should be an overflow of the life we're living. Amen? The song should flow from our hearts, and who cares about the styles and all that stuff? We can, we can work on that, right? But there should just be an overflow. When there isn't the overflow, when there's, when there's things going on, you know, we have to stop and ask as, as a congregation, what's going on? It's not, the, the purpose isn't to get us to sing. You understand? It's not, it's not the singing. Sing, singing and all that stuff is a symptom. And you're going to express that in different ways. Christine, she likes to be hidden behind the piano and have all this stuff. She doesn't even like to be up here. I'm glad she's not here this morning. Ruthie says. She sits in the back for a reason. She doesn't want to be in front of people. You know? It's not about that. She, when she sings, she's not all exuberant raising her hands. Can she? Yes. Her heart is, she'll, she'll see a tear come down her eyes. She's just worshiping the Lord. So it's not about all that getting you to jump up. And if you do praise God, that's great. You know what I'm saying? It's the heart. It's the heart, right? That's what we're talking about, the heart. And let the Lord deal with, you know, all the appearance stuff, right? It's the heart. And so let's let's continue to work on that. And so the other person we want to we want to contrast today is Abraham. And 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 for extra credit, I want you to go read Genesis chapter 18, right? Because that's that's a real that's the first time worship was mentioned in scripture, but we're going to talk about the second time worship is mentioned in scripture. In Genesis 22, and it's obviously I think many of our favorite passage because of the parallel of Christ. But Genesis 22 it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, he said, oh, he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Anytime God calls your name, it's good to say, here I am. That's the one takeaway. Uh, number two, then God said, verse two, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. On a mountain, I will show you. Uh, that didn't come in clearly, Lord. Could you repeat that? What are you asking me to do? I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, and I want you to take him to a mountain. I'm going to show you. I want you to sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. First thing I want to point out in this is that worship is initiated by God. God initiates worship. He's, he's put it in our DNA to every single person that we're going to worship something. But it's in Scripture, every single time, God is instigating the situation. He is calling people out of where they are to come meet Him on, on His terms. This is where we, uh, uh, you know, where we, where we have... Um, Situations where we go, you know, I want to worship God how I want to worship Him, and that's that. Well, this was a very difficult situation. Would you put this on your top ten of how to worship God? Sacrifice your own son? No. No, absolutely not. But it was God's idea. And He instigated this. He He started the the relationship here about this is how you're going to worship. And, and we're going to discover everything about worship that Abraham will go through, you know, how, how he does it, the type of sacrifice, you know, the burnt offering, um, you know, the actual sacrifice, where he's to do it, all these things. God will, in detail, tell him how it's going to happen. And there is a reason for that. 
But so here in the first two verses, we see that God approached Abraham and asked him to engage in worship. It was God's idea. And notice right off the bat that worship requires a sacrifice. Worship requires a sacrifice. I don't like that. Do you? How many of you like to sacrifice? I don't particularly like that. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. It isn't just any sacrifice. The sacrifice that God asked Abraham to give, it meant something to Abraham. It meant the world to him, actually. I would dare to say that Isaac was Abraham's heart beating outside his chest. And I don't know about you, but I think this brought up some emotions in Abraham. Anyone? Maybe fear, sorrow, confusion perhaps, apprehension. God was asking Abraham to sacrifice his best as a burnt offering. Later, the law of Moses would be written, and the requirements for burnt offerings would, would say that there would be three kinds of burnt offerings. There would be bulls for those who, had, had, who were well off. Then there would be the sheep and the goats for those who were kind of middle, you know, and then those who were poor would be able to offer doves. But those top two, the bulls and then the, and then the goats and, and the sheep, they, they were to be a, a, a young male, and they were to be unblemished. Those were... Uh, valuable commodities in their day. They were valuable. Give me your best. I don't want the sheep in there with one ear going, you know, I mean, I want your best, right? Give me your prize bull. Give me your best. And they would take and they would lay their hands on it and they would recognize that their sin was towards them. It was a free will offering. They offered it out of their own will. And they gave it. And it would be burnt totally. You wouldn't enjoy any part of it. The priest wouldn't. It would just be incinerated, crispy. So the, the imagery here would later be developed in the law, but we see what, what the symbol of it was. It was sin offering. It wasn't a decent offering, but I don't want to get into the 50 million different offerings right now, but it was important. There was a spiritual aspect to it. Take your son. Do it. So Abraham, before the law, was asked to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. To worship God, it requires our best. This is why it's called a sacrifice. Worship requires our best sacrifice. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. And he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. Now notice that worship requires obedience. If you're taking notes, which you all are, I know you are. Worship requires obedience. God instigated it. It, it requires sacrifice, a sacrifice, and it also requires obedience. He had to do it. And Abraham, it says he obeyed right away. The early the next morning, he got, he got going on it. But also note that worship is personal. What did Abraham do? 
to cut the wood for the offering. Now, I don't know about you, but if I have all these servants and all these workers and all these different people, I'll be like, hey, you know, give me some wood. Wouldn't you? No, it was personal. I'm not going to let anybody else sacrifice what only I can offer to God. That's why David on the threshing floor said, I'm not going to I'm not going to buy this. I'm not going to get this for free. I'm going to pay for it. Buying the thresh the threshing floor which would be the 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 uh the temple mount. I'm not going to take this for free, God. You know, it's going to cost me something. It's going to cost me something. And this is what he was doing. I, I, he personally chopped the wood. He was involved in the worship, in the sacrifice. He had skin in the game. Verse 4, and on the third day, he looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Notice there was time. Time for him to work out his motions. Isn't that interesting? And God gave him time on the third day. Very interesting. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there and we will worship and we will come back. I love that verse. I love that verse. This is the first time we see the word worship translated in our English text as worship. And in, in actually, it, it, it's in the, in the Hebrew in chapter 18, where it says Abraham bowed down before the, the three you know, messengers that were coming there by his tent. We'll talk about that. But this is the first time it's translated. We can see it's actually worship. I think that's, it's symbolic. When you see something first time in Scripture, it's important. And notice the context here. Stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham had every intention of of both of them coming back. He had time to work through the emotions. He had time to work through things. Faith is huge in worship. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He trusted God. That Isaac was his son. That Isaac was the promised one. And in Hebrews, we'll read about that later. But he realized he trusted in the resurrection. God's just going to have to raise this guy from the dead. If I go do this. Because he said this would happen. Faith is huge. In worship, that is how we worship. We worship in faith. We can't worship any other way. In trust. In what God says. It requires faith. And we see why in verse 6. Here, here in verse 6. As Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. The fire and the knife. And the two of them went together. And Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, The fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. If we're committed to being worshipers of God, sometimes the Lord will lead us into situations that will test our faith and the depth of our worship and our devotion to Him. If we're committed to being worshipers of God, 
Sometimes the Lord is going to lead us into situations that will test our faith and our depth of worship and devotion to Him. We'll find ourselves obeying His voice even when it doesn't make sense to those around us. There doesn't seem to be a lamb. Anyone? It's at these moments we must rely upon His promises and His commands and continue. Worship requires faith. Verse 9, And when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. So the moment of sacrifice has come, and sometimes what we fail to get, forget are all the things that led up to that moment. All the things, all the character building, all the stuff that led to that moment. God was developing in him. A heart that responded to God, immediate obedience, meaningful sacrifice. And now he's going to follow through. And this is big. Worship requires follow through. Gosh, Lord help me. Saul demonstrates a heart that was set on the fear of man and on self. And therefore, Saul failed to sacrifice what God asked. His worship was conditional. It was based upon what Saul thought was best and not what God required. Anyone worship that way? I will give God what I think is best, what suits me, and not what he is asking. I think that plagues us. I think that plagues my heart. As human beings, that is how we operate in our flesh naturally, right? Apart from the Spirit. That's how false religions arise. That's how, you know, tons of the stuff goes on is because we decide what the rules are. We decide what the sacrifice is. We decide what the offering is. We decide. We decide, we decide. And what are the motives behind all that? That's why that, that, that message about Saul is deep, because how deep did that deception go? And we're all prone to that. I'm prone to that, totally. It was based on what Saul thought was best, not what God required, but... And by his actions and, and the lack thereof, Saul's heart was revealed. His worship showed who he was. You will know a tree by its fruit. Right? And we saw it play out, and that's what I love about Scripture. It just lays it out. It doesn't make a difference who you are. God's guy, the enemy's guy, lays it out. Faults and everything, so we can see clearly what's going on. And Abraham demonstrated... In contrast here, a heart that feared God above man. Abraham would obey God even if it didn't seem in his best interest. Even if it didn't seem in his best interest. Is killing your son in your best interest? Well, let me rephrase that. I'm sorry. You know what I'm talking about, right? Not when your kids get out of hand. That's figure of speech. I'm talking about really, you know, that's not in your best interest, right? 
We don't, it's, it would destroy us. Our hearts would be eternally wounded. There would be nothing that could quell that pain. Abraham would obey God even if it wasn't in his best interest, even to the point of sacrificing his one and only son. And do we see the, the big picture, obviously, what God is alluding to here? Yes, we do. By Abraham's action, his heart was revealed. Abraham, no doubt, was fighting off emotion and logic, and he trusted in God's provision. He trusted in what he said above how he felt. This is huge, brothers and sisters. This is worship. We trust above what he says over how we feel. And are our emotions valid a lot of the times? Are we hurting and is this legitimate in our lives? Yes. But we must not surrender to them. We must fall upon God's word. That is where we rest on everything in our lives. And so what is it important to know? What he says. Because that is what we fall upon. That is how we worship. That is how we know what he's required, what he's asking for. How we do it, where we go, what we say. We, we, we go to this and the Spirit leads us and guides us in that. And notice what happens when Abraham was fully committed and the knife was about to go down. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay your hand on the boy, he said. Do not touch anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now, did God not know Abraham's heart? Was, this, was God trying to find out what was in Abraham's heart? Now I know. Did God know what was in his heart? Yes, he knew what was in his heart. Did Abraham know what was in his heart? No. And the purpose of trials and testings is not for God. It is for us to reveal what's in our heart, what's really going on. And when we fail, we realize, wow, got some work to go. And when we fail again, we go, wow, look how much I've grown. Opportunities in the Lord to grow, go upward and onwards. Amen? But look, God was revealing to Abraham, hey, you're a man of faith. Look what we've done in your Look what's going on in your heart. Look what I've done with you. Look, what, look how I've strengthened you. Look who you trust in now. You're a lot different from that guy you trusted in idols and was pulled from this land. Now you're willing to sacrifice the son that I gave you. Look what that is. That is my son. You are my son. And that's pretty heavy stuff there. Abraham's faith was being tested. And whose benefit was all this for? It's for Abraham's benefit. It was for our benefit. When we worship God, we become a blessing. We begin to impact others. We begin to 
impact nations and the world around us when we begin to live lives of worship. Does that make sense? Because through him, all the nations of the world were blessed. Why is that? Because Jesus, his line was in him. And it's through faith that faith is in him. We'll get into that at a different time more. But Abraham looked up, verse 13. And there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And 2,000 years later, in that exact same spot, Jesus Christ was sacrificed for our sins, and the Father did not withhold the knife. Pretty amazing stuff. But the angel of the Lord, verse 15, called to Abraham from heaven a second time, and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities and their enemies. And through your offspring, all the nations will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Obedience and worship is, they go hand in hand. So here's the big picture. How we worship reveals our hearts. How we worship reveals our hearts. When God calls us to respond, do we do it immediately? Or do we wait around until we feel like it? Anyone? Write these things down. Think about them. When God's calling you to do something, and I have no doubt the Holy Spirit's working here today, He's speaking in your heart on something probably. Maybe there's some of you just saying, are you going to wait around or are you going to respond early the next morning even though all the emotions are there and you don't want to do it, all these things, right? When God says what we are to offer, do we withhold like Saul or do we commit like Abraham? When God says, hey, I want you to give this to me, I want you to go here, or I want you to do this. Or, you know what I'm saying? As we're in the Word, as we're, as we're in fellowship, the Holy Spirit brings up these things in our lives. Do we say, you know, do I withhold? Oh, I'll give you what I want out of that, Lord, but I'll withhold the good things from you. Or do we offer the best for Him? Like Abraham. When it doesn't make sense, do we reply on the, on the wisdom of man or the word of God? Difficult situations. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. I've shared it with you before. God called us up here. God called our family to leave San Diego and to go to a land that we did not know called Walla Walla. And as we began that journey, there were situations that came up. Christine started not sleeping. The elders had to withdraw the offer from us. Wisely so. God was in the whole thing. And, and, and through that process, we said, God, did you not say you wanted to go? Then why isn't there a lamb? Why is she in the state? Why, what's going on here? 
God had to work out something in our hearts. He had to work out something in your hearts. At the same time, I, you know, whatever he was doing, right? He knew what he was doing. You were trusting him. We were trusting him. Didn't seem like all the things were adding up, did it? And I remember sitting there, even in my moments of doubt, just saying, you know what, God, you said we're going to go. You'll just have to resurrect it. You just have to do it. There's no way. It would be either totally against anything like that ever happening. Hello? Glory be to God. Not to Matt. Not to Christine, definitely, right? We're not. God did it. He has a plan. His power, his glory, his sacrifice. Not mine. We're ending. How we worship reveals our hearts. You know, a tree by its fruit. And so today, ask yourself, do I give God my best or do I withhold my best for myself? Do I obey till it's done or do I delay till I'm numb? I wrote that for myself. Do I obey till it's done or do I delay till I'm numb? Didn't rhyme, I know, for all you English freaks. Love you. See, worship is not just songs. It's everything else that makes us sing. This is why, you know, I haven't talked about the music. We're laying the foundation in it. We're talking about these heart issues. We lay the foundation and we're living this life of worship. We are a song. We will sing. We will worship. We will shine Jesus in and outside of these lives. And this is the, the bottom line with Abraham is he trusted in the resurrection. He trusted in the resurrection. He trusted, that's where our worship was. His worship was. You will have to raise this again. I will see him again. It will happen. You are that powerful, God, no matter what happens. Job, though he slay me, Our worship is based on hope. So what does it mean to worship? It says, you know, like we talked about in the past, spirit and truth, faith and obedience. And then next week, Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. A living sacrifice. Ouch. So when God says he wants to offer you, the best. What is that best? That's you. Jump in. Put yourself in the plate. Get on the altar. Amen? <laughs> That's the offering he desires. All of you. So I want to close the service by singing one last song, and uh, then we'll go ahead and take off. So worship team, come on, come on back up. <clears throat> and let's pray real quickly. Father, we, we know that your spirit is alive in us. And we know that you are actively involved in our lives. And we know that you're desiring to, to uh, 
to make us these worshipers, Lord, like Jesus, who would even give his own life. And Father, we have not arrived. I have not arrived. And there is something else you want to develop in me to make me more like your son. And I pray that you would fashion that in me, that you would fashion those things in us, that we wouldn't look uh, to our culture as the example of what worship is, Lord. We would look to your word and look to your son. And we would see the sacrifice that pleases God as a broken spirit and a contrite heart. May we have these things, God. And I ask, Lord, that uh, you would just shine through us as we, as we stand for you, Lord. Amen.